This is John Gescheitmeyer of Wisconsin Real Estate Today, your real estate expert. This podcast is designed to equipping people with the teaching and tools they need to succeed in real estate. I hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more real estate content. Hey everybody, John Gescheitmeyer here with another episode of Wisconsin Real Estate Today. We're so happy that you joined us. And did you know this is the only active podcast in Wisconsin for real estate? So please help us spread the word. I think we give some pretty good information here. And of course, if there's anything that you ever want to hear, topics you want to discuss, send us a note. Um, we'd love to uh, we'd love to hear from you. This is your podcast, and it's designed for your knowledge as well. Now. If you're listening in other parts of the country, we can attack general topics too. So let's dive right in. Today, I want to talk about the topic of agent role. I want to talk about confidentiality in real estate transactions. And we'll talk a little bit about strategy as well. So let's dive right in. What is an agent's role? Well, it kind of depends, really. You know, throughout the week, I have tons and tons of conversations with people about what our role is in real estate. Now, in an upcoming episode, we're going to be joined by Jamie Bavette, who's an attorney, uh, also part of our, our staff here at, real estate, at, uh, at uh, REMAX Service First. And she is essentially working towards not only collaborating the law part of what she does in the real estate, but doing both, becoming a real estate agent. She's going to offer a ton of really awesome things in probably a two-part podcast. You know, the reason why I mentioned attorneys and Jamie in general is because we have to remember as realtors that we practice law, but in a very specific boundary area of practicing law. I am not an attorney, and it's very important to remember that there are certain things I can do and there's certain things I can't do. Let's give an example. Earlier this week, one of my agents had called and said he had a little bit of a scenario, uh, which was a huge mess. Seller decides before he wanted to hire one of our agents to go out there and market his home um, on MLS, or not on MLS. So he puts it in Zillow and he gets uh, an interested buyer. The interested buyer, the, however, has an agent. So he figures, well, I should probably have an agent too and hires an agent from a different company, a friend of a friend. One of the worst possible mistakes he can make, hiring a friend or a relative sometimes. Well, it just turned into a disaster, and it still isn't closed, and, and I'll leave the details of that for maybe another time. But the point is, in this scenario, you had an agent that was representing a seller without an agency contract. What does that mean? What that means is that every one of us has to have what we call an agency contract. We have to establish something that in our world we call agency. And what that means is that I have to have a listing contract if I'm listing your home, not only to do all the marketing on your behalf, but also more importantly, to be able to negotiate for you and on your behalf. This agent didn't have that. If you even sell your home by yourself, we, we call you FISBO, right? You're for sale by owner in our world. Um, you can't call an agent and say, boy, I've got these multiple offers now. Can you help me through it? And expect the agent to just practice law. Now, I'll be honest with you, a lot of agents just do. 
an agent has to go through certain things. An agent's role is to make sure that they observe the property. And the main, the main reason why they have to go in and, and do a thorough examination of the property is so that AI can advise you on what your proper list price, sales price, and all that other stuff is. But I have to look for something called adverse facts. In other words, let's say in your basement, you've got block for your foundations. You have a block foundation and there's this big crack in the wall. And that wall goes from the top to the bottom. It's jagged. It goes not only through the grout lines, but it goes through the brick. We call that a shear crack. And I don't disclose it. You don't disclose it on your real estate condition report, or you don't disclose it, and I have to. So we have licensee obligations that we have to abide by, plus ethics and procedures and policies that are established by not only our board, and my board is the Milwaukee Area Association of Realtors, um, G, the Greater Milwaukee Association of Realtors, I'm sorry. But also we're part of the Wisconsin Realtors Association. We're also part of the National Association of Realtors. And every one of those organizations ties us into ethical procedures and ethical policies. It's also the one that says we will cooperate with one another. Now, you don't have to be a member of GMAR, WRA, and NAR to conduct real estate. You don't have to join any one of those. Uh, but 99 point plus percentage of agents are, are in that, at least in our Metro Milwaukee area. But it also affords consumer protection. It affords the option, not just the, I was gonna say option, but it's not even the option. It affords the public some type of you know, consideration, uh, some type of assurance that we will conduct ourselves in an ethical manner and we will always put you first. So if I'm a FISBO and I suddenly ask an agent to help me, they, they've got to do a thorough examination of the property. They've got to run some comparables to be able to tell you whether or not what you're accepting is a good price. That doesn't always happen. But let's take the, the typical scenario. You have uh, one or more realtors come to your house and they do a market analysis. They walk around the house. They give you their ideas for staging and marketing and all this other stuff. Now you have established a relationship with somebody. At this point, you're considered customers under the law. But we want to get you to become a client. And you become a client when you sign an agency relationship. Now on the sell side, that's called a listing contract. It spells out the date that I can start marketing it, the last date before it expires and I have to stop marketing it. And it also establishes within the listing contract what I can say and what I can't say. Confidentiality. If you tell me something in confidence, I can't go share that even after the listing expires. So in other words, let's paint a quick scenario. I list a home and you know, I list it for six months and it doesn't sell. Now, today that's pretty rare, but let's just say that happens. And then six months and one week after that, I meet a buyer and the buyer describes the perfect house. And uh, I get the buyer to sign the other type of agency relationship contract, and that's a buyer agency. Now, buyer agency agreement says that I work specifically for the buyer. I, I don't work for the seller. So under the buyer agency agreement, it's my job to secure a home to negotiate their, you know, with their best interests in mind. And I say to the buyer, you know, 
by the way, welcome aboard. We signed our agency agreement that we're good to go. Now I can represent you. You know, I had this listing. Uh, let's say it was in Brookfield. And it was listed for 400 but I know the seller would take 350 I have now committed a licensee violation, right? I have disclosed confidential information that I learned only through a listing contract with someone else. Now, a lot of you know when you listen, I used to be in law enforcement. When someone gets arrested and they start spewing things off at the mouth, they don't, everything that they say can be used against them. In other words, I arrest you for, let's say, theft. And you start in the back of my squad car on the way to the station, you start talking about all the things that you've stolen and you're sad and upset with yourself and sorry and all that other stuff. Well, of course, I can use all that against you, right? When I question you, though, at the station and I interview you, I have to read you your rights. You have the right to remain silent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then you waive your rights and then you, and you, you provide a statement. But in real estate, it's kind of the same thing. If you tell me something in confidence, I have to keep it in confidence even after that listing expires. Now, what, do, what does a couple do if they're going through a divorce? That's a common question that we get. So if I go through a divorce and, um, you know, my wife and I, we're not sure when we should list the house. Eventually, our, our attorneys probably say to us, all right, um, unless one of you wants to buy out the other, it's, you're going to have to put the house up for sale. Then you can divide the assets. That's a really tough decision for people to make, but you know sometimes it's best, right? They just want to separate, start their own life uh, individually. I mean, whatever it is, and then we get involved. And sometimes couples will say to us, "We don't want you to say anything to the buyers that uh, we're divorcing." And they might say that because, you know, let's be honest: if you don't have competition, a buyer comes in, they know that you're getting divorced. They might think they have the advantage strategically when it comes to negotiations, because you're divorcing. Well, I mean, just because you're divorcing doesn't mean you're going to give away the home. But to a buyer, you know, they will look on the public records. And there's the Wisconsin Circuit Court Access Program, where you can go in and you can find out anything you want about somebody, if they've been criminally charged, if they've received citations that were adjudicated in a circuit court or a municipal court that reports to what we call CCAP. But you can also find if somebody was sued, foreclosed upon, uh, judgments were filed against them, and of course, divorce, right? Uh, probate. When, if you've ever had to sell a home when somebody passed away and you were the executor of the estate, like I was a few years ago when my mom passed away, you get nothing but letter after letter after letter from people who want to buy your house. And how do they know about that? Well, they don't really read the death notices. They might. But they go through the probate notices in, uh, in the courts, in the county courts. And that is public record. You know, all these cases are public record. But if a divorcing, a divorcing couple says, John, we don't want you to tell anybody that we're getting divorced. I'm in that awkward position where the, um, the other agent, buyer's agent, might say to me, hey, John, uh, can you explain to us why they're selling? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like getting that question to begin with because it's just weird to me. My standard response is absent, um, you know, how much I want to share, how much I'm, my, my clients want me to share. But my standard response normally is because this current home does not meet their, their new needs. 
So in other words, they're living in a home where it just no longer meets their needs. And I'll be honest, when a lot of times when I say that, other agents don't know how, they don't know how to respond. Um, so it's kind of a crafty response, actually, if you think about it. But if it's a relocation or if somebody, you know, lost their job, I mean, I'm not going to say that, boy, somebody lost their job and they're in desperate need of selling the home. We have to do what's best for our clients. So that agency relationship mandates that I keep things confidential, even after the listing sells or expires. All right, let's flip uh, to the other side. I'm the buyer's agent now. How do I get a buyer um, under under me and my brokerage? Well, we sign a buyer agency agreement. And that buyer agency agreement simply says to the world, hey, hey, everybody, how you doing? I represent the buyer and the buyer only. I'm going to do what's best for my buyer. I have his fiduciary responsibilities in my, in my mind at all times. So let's say I'm, do, I'm conducting an open house. Now, I have a listing contract to do so, so I represent the seller. And then one of, uh, one of somebody else's buyers show up or a buyer that's not represented by anybody. You know, they ask all these questions. And then once in a while, of course, they'll ask, well, let's talk about price. What do you think the seller would really accept, John? I mean, what would they, you know, what would they really accept? And I always have to answer the same way. Well, I'm pretty sure that they would accept list price unless we had competition. Then they might accept more. And they laugh and then they go, really? And I say, hey, look, I represent the seller. Okay. I don't have a buyer agency agreement with you. So I really can't advise you on now, once a buyer agency agreement is signed with a buyer, I can run comparables, I can advise them on price, I can advise them on terms. So if you're out and you're thinking about buying a home, you really, really, really should be talking to an agent that you trust. And more than likely, depending on your scenario and circumstances, you should sign a buyer agency agreement with that agent. Now, that also means, though, that if you go out and find a home on your own, and you bypass your agent and you have an active and valid uh, buyer agency agreement in place, you do owe them commission. So, you know, I, I always tell people, look, find somebody that you know and trust, work with them. They're the expert. In most cases, it'll cost you very little or nothing to employ the services of a buyer agent and run with it. Let them take care of the negotiations and let the experts do what they do best. I mean, that's almost always my advice. I might say, well, John, I know an agent that does buyers and sellers. What if those two intersect at a particular property? Great question. Here's the scenario. I have a couple, Joe and Julie, and they're out looking at homes. I have a listing that's coming on the market, and Sally and Mark have the listing. I have a listing contract with Sally and Mark. I have a buyer agency agreement with Joe and Julie. How do I connect them? Well, you can do that. It all depends on what's allowed, not only for relationships on the buyer side, on the buyer agency agreement, but also on the seller side in the listing contract. As long as you stay neutral in both, you're fine. Now, what if the seller says to me, well, yeah, I haven't listed at 375, but I'll take anything above 350. You know, let's just put it out at 375 and see what we can get. I can't tell the buyer that, right? I mean, even though I have a buyer agency agreement, I have to stay neutral. And believe it or not, um, 
That happens all the time. Now, how much neutrality is involved between some of the agents that I've seen, I question. But that is our ethical responsibility. That's our role, right? When I get an offer, let's say as a listing con- or a, a listing agent, and you know maybe an agent from my own office wrote another offer. Now I've got competing offers, or maybe my own buyers wrote an offer. So let's say I've got three offers. One was written by another agent, one was written by an agent in my own office, and one was written by me for some buyers of mine. Now I have to go to my seller, who I have an agency relationship with, and I have to present these to them. And I owe that agent, I'm sorry, that seller, the duty, the duty, that's a big word, the duty of presenting these impartially. I always will disclose, this was the buyer I was telling you about that I've been working with. Here's their offer. Here's an agent's offer from within my office. I don't know the buyers on this one. Here's an offer from an agent from XYZ company. I don't know the buyers here either. Now, can I tell my seller more about my own buyers? Yes, but I can't tell them, you know, oh my goodness, they're such a cute young family and they happen to be from a, from a Catholic family and they're moving from a neighborhood where, you know, X, Y, Z, I mean, that's bordering on discrimination. We're going to talk about discrimination in a completely different pod- podcast. Now, I don't think a lot of agents go out and try to discriminate, but when they start talking about things like that, they have to be careful because let's be honest, I know this couple, I know this family, or I wrote the offer for them, right, on my own listing but I don't know the scenario for the other buyers. So does that create an unfair advantage for my own offer? Well, of course it does. So, you know, there's there's really not a lot to remember when you're following your ethics and your, you know, your, your, your procedures, you're, you're presenting things in an unbiased manner. Um, but again, it all boils down to the fact that as agents, we have fiduciary responsibilities to people that, are, are employing us through agency contracts. But at the same time, we also have to make sure that we're doing what's best for our client. Um, it's, it's really not that complicated. If I have a buyer who writes an offer that I don't know, let's say they come to an open house, I start working with them or they request a private showing and I start working with them for my own listing, I have to have them sign another form that says, uh, hey, just so you know, I don't work for you. And I, you know, I could certainly help you out with the, you know, with the offer itself. I could put all the terms out there. I can explain everything. But as a disclosure to a customer, when you read that form, it says, I still owe you, you know, the duty of honesty and all these other things. I just can't advise you on price. And I can't advise you um, on, a, on a ton of terms. I can tell you it's normal. You know, in my world, writing an offer with a 15-day inspection contingency period is normal. A 30-day or 35-day loan commitment contingency. In other words, we give the lender 35 days to put the loan together and deliver a commitment um, that they're getting the loan, right? And then that satisfies that contingency. So, you know, there's a lot I can do. And I sold a lot of homes myself, my own listings. And trust me. If I can keep an agent who would co- would solely come in and negotiate on the buyer's behalf, if I can keep that other agent out of the equation, almost 
always do, do all parties win. In fact, it, it's a huge win for my seller, right? Because we didn't have to worry about another agent coming in and negotiating against my sellers. But it gets dicey. You have to be careful. You know, we're only as good as our reputation in this industry. And as I wrap this podcast, uh, I want to express to you that it's our duty. It's not a, it's not a maybe. It's not a perhaps. It's a duty. It's a must that we follow our ethical procedures, we follow the law, we negotiate, do things in certain order and in certain ways to ensure the integrity of the real estate system. I don't like it when I hear that um, people compare our industry to, you know, the typical used car salesperson uh, persona. You know, where you know the, the slimy, the doing whatever you need to do to better you know, yourself and not your clients type of attitude. I don't like that. And we strive very hard to make sure that we're ethical, that we are, are doing everything uh, on the basis of integrity. When you do that, everybody wins. Hey, if you have any questions related to today's podcast, you can always call our office. I'll give you the number. It's 262-287-9900. Or send us an email at info at soldwisconsin.com. Info, I-N-F-O, at sold, as in I sold your house, Wisconsin spelled out, dot com, and you'll get us to us. Love to hear your ideas. As always, thanks for joining. We hope uh, that your real estate days are plentiful and productive and profitable. Take care, everybody. This episode of Wisconsin Real Estate Today has come to a close. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and let others know if you found this content useful. Until next time, make today your best day.